You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The United States is not looking for escalation. We simply provided her information and context so that she could make decisions about her travel. Some people are describing this as a culmination of her career. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name. Team, we just got President Trump's endorsement, and we are honored to have it. He knows. He knows. (laughs) We need proven conservative fighters. Voter intimidation and efforts to suppress or block people is illegal. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Nancy Pelosi is in Taiwan. China is furious. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the speaker's visit prompts Beijing to schedule military drills surrounding the island. We'll talk about a new level of tension between the two countries and whether this is a turning point with Douglas Lute, former U.S. ambassador to NATO and former White House Deputy National Security Advisor for Iraq and Afghanistan. Later this hour, five states voting this primary day will be joined by Bloomberg Elections reporter Greg Giroux with Some important races to watch as Donald Trump stumps Missouri by endorsing Eric, even though two candidates have that name. Analysis from the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is here alongside Doug High today, former communications director for the Republican National Committee. It's just after five o'clock in the morning now in Taipei, where Speaker Pelosi spent the night after touching down in darkness We still caught a good glimpse, though, of Pelosi's welcome on the tarmac, even though it was nighttime, live video streaming from the airport on the terminal. It was remarkable to see it. And as soon as she landed, Beijing issued a series of scathing comments saying the visit severely impacts, that's a quote, severely impacts the China-U.S. Foundation, and then announced military drills that will apparently surround the island starting on Thursday with live ammunition. Back here in Washington, the White House is still playing it cool. Retired Admiral John Kirby here speaking for the National Security Council. Here he is. This trip was the Speaker's decision, and Congress is an independent branch of government. You all know that. We're obviously monitoring her travel, as we always do for members of Congress, and we've taken all appropriate measures to ensure the safety of her travel throughout the region. We get the view of former ambassador to NATO, Douglas Lute, now with the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. He was deputy national security advisor for Iraq and Afghanistan in the W. Bush administration, carrying into the Obama years, former director of operations for U.S. Central Command. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg. Thanks. It's good to be with you. It's great to have you here as we consider the long-term impacts of this visit. Do you think it was a good idea for the Speaker of the House to visit Taiwan? Well, I have to question the timing. 
Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, what benefit we're getting from the trip. And it comes at a, it comes at a sensitive time. Just as the three senior ex- uh, executive branch officials have yeah. regained contact with their Chinese counterparts and begun to discuss the ramifications of the war in Ukraine. So it sort of sets us back, I think, from some momentum that's been established in the last several weeks. Momentum in our relationship with China? How well, do you mean that? Yeah, it's not clear that the relationship itself will change. But uh, I'm of the view that uh, dialogue, even dialogue with your opponents or yep. your challengers, uh, is not a bad thing. Does this sink and, the chances uh, of a face-to-face meeting? Uh, I don't think it sinks it, but it sets it back. I, I don't think the Chinese leaders are in a position right now to justify a face-to-face meeting to their public, especially as they move towards the 20 part, 20th Party Congress uh, in, in the fall. So it'd be difficult, I think, for them to justify it domestically. Some would argue that that, that 20th Party Congress you reference in this timing now is actually a good reason for Nancy Pelosi to go, that this is this is the United States finally showing up for Taiwan and, and not taking... Uh, orders in this case from Beijing, if she had canceled this trip, what would we be saying then? Well, I think the difficulty here is the trip was announced well in advance and publicized, right? So there were any number of options where Speaker Pelosi could have made her point in a more subtle way and not sort of generated a Chinese reaction, um, which was inevitable given the very public announcement of the trip. So, for example, she could have met with uh, Taiwanese counterparts elsewhere, Mm-hmm. Uh, or she could have done a stop and go uh, without all the uh, the prelude. So I think there are any number of ways to handle this that would have perhaps lessened the, the downside. The trip was originally set for April, uh, as I'm sure you know. Nobody was fussing about this then. Of course, she got COVID and had to postpone the trip. What if she had just shown up in Taiwan then and did not have all the, the, the weeks of rhetoric, as, as you mentioned, the sort of publicity uh, that came before this worst-kept secret, even the president saying that the military thought it was a bad idea? Would this be a completely different scenario? I think so. The less public these things, uh, until they actually happen, or yeah. perhaps even after they've happened, uh, the more digestible they are by both sides. China will stave, uh, stage live ammo drills starting Thursday, apparently, exercises that will surround the island and go through the weekend. Uh, does this response match the occasion, or is this completely over the top? Well, I, I think it's over the top. But again, this response is much more, uh, in my view, about President Xi addressing his position inside China. Okay. than it is to have some sort of meaningful signal to us. I mean, look, they conduct live fire exercises quite frequently. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that's especially threatening. If there is an element of risk here, though, it is that we are also operating in the area. Now, not in close proximity to the Chinese forces, but anytime you get two sophisticated, large um, militaries sort of in close proximity, there's always the chance of an accident yeah. or a miscalculation. And, of course, we want to avoid that at all costs. We've actually seen it before, and it wasn't that long ago, right, when a Chinese fighter plane uh, apparently clipped the wing of a, a Navy reconnaissance plane. I think it was a P-3. The, the Chinese fighter went down. The pilot was lost. And uh, our, our sailors and airmen on that, on that airplane ended up in custody for some time. These right. little mistakes can go a long way. And they can set back progress that should be at least uh, able to be discussed um, between the two leaders. So that's the sort of risk here. And what we have to do is compare that risk, which we're incurring now, against the benefit of the trip. And it's not clear to me exactly what the benefit is. So, Ambassador, is, is this a turning point 
in U.S.-China relations? Are we rethinking the one-China policy, or is this just another chapter in a, a troubled relationship? No, it's, I, I don't think it's a turning point. I, I mean, I think the president's been quite clear. Uh, last week, uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was very clear that we stand by our longstanding policy, uh, one China, uh, and, and, and yet we reserve the uh, right to continue to support Taiwan's defensive capabilities. So I, I don't think it's a turning point. Ambassador, you were the White House Deputy National Security Advisor for Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, the George W. Bush administration, you carried on uh, the Obama administration in a slightly different role. Uh, but talk to us about the significance of this announcement last night from the president, the significance of the Zahari killing, uh, knowing that the country as well as you do. Do you believe the Taliban is, in fact, harboring terrorists? Is that a breach of our withdrawal deal? Yes, uh, in, in both cases. Uh, it, it is. They are harboring. I think that's quite clear. I mean, we have the clearest possible evidence now, uh, having found Zawahiri uh, in downtown Kabul, uh, apparently, at least according to, to reports, in the house uh, owned by a, uh, a senior Taliban affiliate. Uh, and it's it's quite clear to me that someone of Zawahiri's prominence wouldn't be in Kabul at all without the Taliban officials knowing about it. So they're clearly in breach of that uh, yeah. that provision of the February 2020 agreement. Did the administration prove the effectiveness of over-the-horizon uh, mission capability, or is that being overdone in the conversation today? No, I, I think at least in this case, in this specific set of circumstances, they did prove the over-the-horizon capability, which, of course, you know, a year ago, many were doubting uh, that we could actually do this. Uh, so this is a significant step forward, both in ter- terms of our intelligence yeah. over the horizon, finding Zawahiri and putting him in a place and time where we could strike him, but also the capability to strike that with precision. So I think this is a significant advance. What does it tell you when you, you knew this guy? He's been around for a long time, and he's been running uh, or was running al-Qaeda for the better part of a decade. The significance of the imagery of Zawahiri hanging out on the patio or on the balcony, I guess he liked to go out there every day. We've been watching him for weeks. The idea of, of seeing this uh, safe house presented to the president of the United States, I guess the uh, right. intelligence community made it into a model. Maybe that's something that you used to be involved in, but clearly uh, living with no fear in the middle of the Capitol. You know, he was in open public view with yeah. his family, uh, in a city of uh, over 5 million people, um, controlled by the Taliban. So, I mean, I think it's quite clear that he was comfortable there. Um, I, I think what's really important here, however, is to put the responsibility back on the Taliban, who did sign an agreement, an agreement, by the way, which we abided by. Yes, w- right. W- with regard to our full withdrawal last year, right? And which now they have proven they have not abided by the counterterrorism provisions of this, uh, and they've also not um, they've not abided by their um, agreement that they would uh, support an ex- inclusive government, right. not inclusive, um, and that th- that all Afghans would benefit from the same sense of human rights and so forth. How do you manage any of that when you're gone? I mean, we we withdrew. Who do we deal with, or do we just walk away? Well, I don't think we can completely walk away because we still have responsibilities there. First and foremost, a counterterrorism responsibility, which is yeah. just demonstrated, right? I mean, we have, that's in our own interest. But you know, Afghanistan is now a failed state, attempted to be ruled by the Taliban. But the Taliban are finding that their ability to resist the previous Afghan governments, to be an insurgency, that that is much easier than actually governing. And they've got significant problems now trying to run 
a failed state, Boy. a failed state that's suffering from poverty, drought. Uh, so there's a food crisis yep. and they're largely unvaccinated against COVID. So it's, it's a real crisis. Where do you think the intelligence came from uh, on his whereabouts? Do we have people uh, who are, are providing information who are on the ground? Was this the, the, the $25 million bounty working for us? You know, we've had multi-million dollar bounties on, on terrorist leaders across the years. Yeah. They, frankly, they haven't often paid off. But I I suppose, and I have no inside knowledge on this, but based on experience, I suppose this was a combination of different forms of intelligence. Mm -hmm. I do suspect that there were uh, human uh, intelligence assets, sources, if you will, on the ground. Uh, I suspect that uh, we probably had some element of signals intelligence, so intercepted communications. Maybe not from Zawahiri himself, perhaps family members or affiliates. Right. And then I think all of that was was tied to image intelligence. So either satellite based intelligence or uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. And, and it's the composite the, of all that info yes, that, that draws the conclusion putting this together. That's right. And that's what takes weeks, first of all, to arrive at the time and the place that you yeah. can reliably count on him to be and then to strike with precision. Walking us through a dangerous world. Ambassador Douglas Lute, we thank you for being with us again on Bloomberg. Thanks for the insights today. Not at all. Take care. We'll assemble the panel next as Nancy Pelosi sleeps. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Nancy Pelosi today, at least Taiwan time today, will meet with the president of Taiwan, President Tsai, with a, a joint press briefing to follow, remembering that just the news of her landing Hours ago, sent Beijing on a tear, announcing missile tests, military drills that will encircle the island starting later on this week. The imagery ought to be something, if only for the domestic audience. 
President Xi is trying to impress. Let's assemble our panel. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst, joined today by Doug High. He's back, Republican strategist, former RNC communications director, former deputy chief of staff to Eric Cantor. All right, Jeannie, she's there. Last time we spoke, it was believed that she would be there, but she actually touched down. Things went smoothly. It was in the in the dark of night, which I understand was by design, but we still saw her the pink suit, uh, a warm greeting on the tarmac. Now that you've seen it, was this a smart move? You know, I, I love the pink suit. Um, you know, that is pure Nancy Pelosi. She yep. doesn't go quietly. But, you know, I, I think there is a question to be asked. And, and, you know, she has a right to go, yes. But the question is, does it make sense for her to go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've all been talking about Tom Friedman's uh, editorial in the New York Times today, calling it utterly reckless. And, you know, the real question in my mind is, what's the upside? What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at this from a long-term perspective, does it serve the United States interest? or does it just serve her short-term domestic interests? So I think there's a lot of questions here, and, and I'm really on the fence. I know there's a view that she had to go once it was announced. I'm not so sure it's in the best interest of the United States at this point. Doug, hi, you just heard from Jeannie Shanzano. Listen to Mitch McConnell, and I'm starting to think that Nancy Pelosi uh, just, just struck the most bipartisan chord she could have found. Here's the minority leader in the Senate earlier today. I think it's important that the speaker did go to Taiwan. I don't think the Chinese uh, get to tell members of Congress where they can go. He signed a letter with 25 Republican senators supporting the trip. Uh, Doug, <laughs> this is this is a brand new day when Nancy Pelosi's stock is rising with Republican leadership. Do they mean this or are they kind of goading her on? Look, they do. And I'll tell you, you know, in 2010, Joe, uh, when I was at the Republican National Committee, uh, I was part of what was called the Fire Pelosi campaign. And right now I'm <laughs> drinking from my red Fire Pelosi cup, but I'm also <laughs> raising the cup to her. Well, you know, one of the things that Republicans are very mindful of when it comes to Nancy Pelosi, once you get away from the you know political jargon and so forth, is that she's Nancy D'Alessandro, a street fighter from, from Baltimore. And she does not back down. And we, Republicans, you know, quite often hate her so much because she's so effective. And when it was clear that once it was leaked that this may happen, it was very clear that she was never going to back down. Think it's smart to be there, though? I guess those are two different questions. Well, they, they are different questions. And, and I think we, we can ask about what the you know, st- strategy behind it was. Um, but clearly she was not going to back down. And she's mindful of the fact that, you know, while so much of our focus is on Ukraine, what happened in Ukraine very easily could have or could happen in Taiwan. And she definitely wanted to send a message that the United States stands with Taiwan. If you think about it the other way, GD, if Taiwan is off limits to the speaker, if that's the new rule here, Speaker of the House in the United States not allowed to go to Taipei. Don't we have bigger issues to address? Is it not time to take another look at the one China policy or is that just kicking the, the hornet's nest? We do have bigger issues to address. And I don't think the fact is she's not allowed to go. Clearly, she has a right to go. I think the question is about U.S. foreign policy. We need to take a long-term view the way China does. And, you know, we need to understand the sensitivity to the issue of Taiwan. And is this sort of, you know, raising the level of humiliation that they feel they suffered in the late 19th century into the early 20th century vis-a-vis Taiwan? Does it make sense then for her to go 
at this point. And, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Ukraine. Well, what about if China turns around and starts supporting Russia and Ukraine? We can't, as, as Friedman was saying, fight on both fronts. So, you know, U.S. foreign policy, uh, you know, and she's not obviously in charge of it, and she has every right to go and, and grant her that. But does it make sense, I think, is a real big question, and I'm not so sure it does. And she's not just a congressperson. She's Speaker of the House. She's third in line to the presidency. Doug, you're a communications specialist. Uh, this didn't have to be quite as intense as it has been, it strikes me. If we hadn't heard from the president himself that the Pentagon didn't want to see this, if the, the leaking hadn't happened weeks in advance, could this have been contained a little bit more effectively? Yes, look, certainly one of the challenges in Washington is while we focus so much on the partisan issues, there are very real differences between the House and the Senate and Congress and the administration. This yeah. is one of these. They have different priorities. The fact that we heard the, the president speak on this uh, was certainly surprising, and that upped the level of this you know, significantly. And you know, one of the reasons that Pelosi now is being applauded by some Republicans, and obviously that'll be short-term applause, um, is that it became clear to McConnell, to Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans that backing down to China would essentially send China the message that they can get away with whatever they want to. And you know, as we see what's going on in um, Hong Kong just over the past few years, China's betting that they can do whatever they want and flex yeah. whatever muscles they want. That's, a, that's why Pelosi made such, I think, an important statement. And when she landed, her plane was greeted by, with applause. You're right. Um, and, and that was certainly a message that was being sent to the people of Taiwan. I'll tell you, that joint news conference tomorrow is going to be a delicate dance. And we'll talk more about all of it with Jeannie Shanzano and Doug High. Our sound on panel today, the fastest hour in politics as we round the bend and turn to primary day next with Greg Giroux. This is Bloomberg. Congressman Peter Meyer had only been in the U.S. House for a couple of days when the Republican from Michigan voted to impeach Donald Trump, who since vowed retribution, we've heard this story before, choosing to endorse John Gibbs in today's primary to defeat Congressman Meyer. First-termer, Donald Trump really does not like Peter Meyer. He doesn't even like his name, as we learned at a recent rally. Listen. One of the ten impeachers. A guy who spells his name M-E-I-J-E-R, but they pronounce it Meyer. The hell kind of a spelling is that? Meyer. Meyer. It's Meyer, but it's actually pronounced Meyer. I said, how the hell do you pronounce this guy's name? Nobody knows him. He's done nothing in Washington. I said, how do you pronounce his name? Is it Meyer? Meyer? They said, it's Meyer. How the hell do you get Meyer out of it? Well, it's Meyer, and uh, I don't know, maybe he helped with the name recognition there. That's back in, uh, in April at a Save America rally in Washington Township. The former president of the United States, <laughs> I'm guessing maybe the first time he read it, he didn't realize it was Meyer. But again, you heard the president, one of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach. Three of them are facing primaries today, and that's where we begin with Bloomberg Elections reporter Greg Giroux, it's a big one. Greg, we actually have, what, five states in play here. As far as this race goes, though, Peter Meyer, who's, who's gotten a fair amount of media attention, how much trouble is he in? Yeah, he's in trouble. Um, about that Donald Trump rally, though, it's kind of a curious strategy to make fun of a, a Dutch surname in western Michigan. But uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that was a very odd to hear Trump do that. But uh, we'll Also see a war the, veteran. Uh, 
we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what the uh, the voters have to say uh, later today in uh, Michigan's third district, which includes the Grand Rapids area that Jerry Ford uh, used to represent. Hmm. Uh, Meyer's in a tough spot. He has that Trump-endorsed challenger, John Gibbs, as you mentioned, and what's uh, he's also uh, getting opposition from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, which has decided yeah. to spend money Once on TV again. ads boosting Gibbs because the Democrats think that after redistricting, uh, the district now leans a little bit Democratic and that Gibbs would be an easier candidate to defeat than Meyer. We're going to have a few instances of that, uh, I realize, in this conversation. Uh, other than Meyer, as you point out in your column on the terminal, uh, you've got uh, Jamie Butler in uh, and Dan Newhouse, both in Washington State. Those are the other two Republicans voted to impeach Donald Trump. Are they in the same situation? I don't think there is an as uh, perilous a situation as Meyer. Tough races, and you know only the voters will uh, only will know from the voters later today. And yeah. it takes some time to count the ballots in Washington State. They have a very drawn out process, so it may take some time to know the verdict. The other difference is that Washington State uses what's known as a, a top two primary, under which all candidates of all parties run on one ballot, and the top two advance to the general election. So two Republicans could advance, and that could give uh, a little bit of a boost to. Um, uh, Jamie Herrera Butler in the third district and Dan Newhouse in the fourth district. So not quite the straights uh, that Mr. Meyer is in. Right. Yeah. Meyer has a straight up, you know, what they call a closed Republican primary you mm-hmm. know, against John Gibbs. That's a little bit different than the Washington races. Some of the other races to watch. It's hard to ignore what's happening in Arizona. And you've got Trump effect there as well. In fact, it's a Trump Pence proxy in the gubernatorial uh, race here. Uh, with Karen Taylor Robson endorsed by Ducey, uh, the, 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 the governor now, Doug Ducey, along with Mike Pence. Carrie Lake, a former television news anchor, endorsed by Donald Trump. This is actually a pretty close one. It really is. It looked like Lake was a you know a clear front runner for most of the time, but it looks like uh, Karen Taylor Robson, uh, Robson has... Uh, really cut into the lead and it's probably you know i I don't know if i'd want to call or predict that race today uh it should be pretty close but it is one of those uh one of many races where donald trump has uh cast his lot in with the preferred candidate not only the governor's race but you go down about the secretary of state's race which is open because the democratic secretary of state is running for governor the attorney general's race so arizona is definitely a state to watch tonight i'm glad you mentioned both of those because they might not get as much attention not being you know national uh, type uh, races, but they're very important as Donald Trump tries to plant seeds with election deniers, right? If either of them won those primaries and won those races, you could have election deniers essentially running the election in one of the most important battleground states in the country. Yes, and those down, down, down ballot races, excuse me, deserve a lot more attention than they're getting. Yeah. The Secretary of State's primary, for example, Trump is backing uh, Mark Fincham, a state representative who's advanced Trump's bogus claims of widespread voter fraud. He has a candidate in the attorney general's race. And the incumbent attorney general, Mark Burnovich, is a, uh, came under fire from Trump. Uh, he's running for the U.S. Senate, and yes. Trump didn't endorse him because he felt that Burnovich didn't agree with his uh, false claims about <laughs> widespread fraud. So he did endorse Blake Masters in that race. Uh, as, as I see, he's leading by, gosh, almost 20 points. Is that, is that a done deal for Masters and Trump? It looks like Blake Masters is going to win the nomination. Polling has has shown him with a consistent double-digit lead, and I think the Trump endorsement will help there, as will you know, at least uh, $15 million that was donated to a pro-master super PAC uh, by Peter Thiel, the technology billionaire yeah. who's uh, backing his protege in that election. 
I hate to bounce around too much, but we do have a number of states in play, and I have to ask you about the Erics. I mean, what a bizarre story we're talking about here. Eric Reitens, the former governor of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, the former attorney general, both running to replace Senator Roy Blunt. There's been a great uh, effort, as you see in a lot of these races, to get the, the backing of Donald Trump. And so he says last night, after advertising it on social media, I endorse Eric with no last name. And so they both ran to take credit for it. Greg, how does that end? Yeah, that's uh, one of the more bizarre endings of a U.S. Senate Republican primary I've seen in some time. Is Donald Trump just fooling around? Yeah, I'm not, you know, he's, Donald Trump is someone who likes to boost his win-loss record in uh, endorsements in primaries. And I think, you know, endorsing Eric Greitens, even though Greitens has been running a full-throated, you know, pro-MAGA, you know, anti-Mitch McConnell campaign that very much aligns yeah. with Trump's views. Um, you know, I don't, it'd still be a risky endorsement for Trump to take. And he doesn't like losing on endorsements. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to do it. Just give them one name. Uh, Greg, happy primary day. Thanks for being with us. As always, we'll throw this to the panel next. The Battle of the Erics on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. It's from the Kofefi playbook, I can only assume. Or was that Kofif? I never quite got it right from the former president. Endorsing Eric without a last name, even though there are two Eric's running in the Republican primary in Missouri. And you're going to recognize at least one of them before we pull the panel into this. Uh, Eric Greitens, the former governor, uh, and he actually he left as governor. He stepped down and was facing all kinds of uh, allegations, including uh, domestic abuse, which his challenger, Eric Schmidt, has been glad to remind uh, people of. Eric Schmidt is the attorney general. But Greitens... And Schmidt seized opportunity. They saw the statement. Eric says he endorsed Eric. Well, that's me. And, of course, they both 
jump for the ball. Here's Eric Greitens, the former governor, in a social media post immediately after. Team, we just got President Trump's endorsement, and we are honored to have it. He was very clear that he wants a MAGA champion. That's what I am. My opponent, Eric Schmidt, he's a rhino. President Trump was clear he wants a warrior. I'm a Navy SEAL. Eric Schmidt is a career politician. Is it coming back to you? Navy SEAL, rhino, rhino hunting. Remember the ad? Eric Reitens kicked out the ad that was really made for, you know, more to get people like me talking about it than anything. He was walking down the street with with an assault-style weapon. And comes upon a house where apparently rhinos live. Listen, remember this. I'm Eric Greitens, Navy SEAL. And today, we're going rhino hunting. That's it. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. Wild world of animals. When they blow their way into this house, there's smoke bombs and guys wearing armor. Action movie music. That guy, Eric Greitens. Who again said, you know, Eric Schmidt, he's no warrior. This is the attorney general. And so to, to, to keep up with, well, the Greitens, Eric Schmidt puts up an ad of him holding a blowtorch and lighting it on camera. Listen. I'm Eric Schmidt, and I think Joe Biden is a total disaster. That's why I'm taking my blowtorch yeah. to his socialist agenda. It's <laughs> just massive flame standing in a very manly looking workshop and i start thinking boy i really should have gone into the political ad business because it's too fun ask doug high as we reassemble our panel doug high is with us former comms director at rnc uh <laughs> republican strategist and Jeannie shanzano bloomberg politics contributor democratic analyst what's going on here doug is is, is donald trump playing a, a, practic- a practical joke? Is this Kofefe part two? Oh, absolutely. Look, he likes getting attention, and what better way to do it than to have a weird endorsement that gets people talking? Um, <laughs> a weird But I've actually, I was actually in Missouri the week before last in Kansas City in Lake of the Ozarks, and it's interesting, especially in Lake of the Ozarks, that is still Trump country. You still mm. see a lot of Trump flags, some flags, flags about a guy named Brandon as well, and talking oh. to voters there, it seemed very clear from the what we also see in the polling that this was really a race between Eric Schmidt and Vicki Hartzler uh-huh. with um, Eric Wrighton's fading. And, you know, this this maybe comes too little too late, even if it is a real endorsement or not um, for Greitens. But what I heard so often from voters in um, in Lake of the Ozarks was that they just weren't Greitens fans um, because of all the personal baggage that he has and gets into some you know kind of nasty stuff. I remember one lady yes. told me when I asked about Greitens, she said, He's a real sicko. So that's language you don't always hear every day. Tells you a lot about this. And indeed, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Vicki Hartzler here. Uh, If this is what it's come to with a Trump endorsement, we're actually not sure which candidate he's chosen. Jeannie, how do you gauge the impact? Yeah, and it's nice to hear what Doug is talking about, that the people are on the side of the Republican Party who's deathly afraid that if they get an endorsement or if if Eric Reitens does win this primary, which seems unlikely at this point, but he could, that they will be spending a lot of time with this seat and trying to get this seat, hold this seat that they should be able to hold and look elsewhere. So this is a real problem for them. But 
I think that my favorite part of this story is the fact that when the idea of this dual endorsement of Eric, which he puts in all caps, came up, President Trump reportedly, Alex Eisenstadt has a great piece on this, reportedly asked if it was spelled the same, which is a good question because you can spell Eric with a K, you can spell it C-H. He said it's not going to work unless the names are spelled the same and good thing for Trump, they're spelled the same. And so he was able to proceed with this and they were very happy about this. It's apparently, Doug, he also called both uh, of these candidates. I mean, he's, he's just playing with them. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is all about Trump being Trump, getting attention, having fun, you know, getting in on the joke himself and, and so forth. It's not anything serious wow. you know, ab- about this race or, or other races. But one thing I should add, and, and sort of to Jeannie's point, is, you know, Republicans in Washington are very mindful that it, this looks like it could be a good year for Republicans, but they've got challenging can- candidates out there who could cost them seats. And in Missouri, you know, the feeling at the Republican Senatorial Committee is if it's Vicki Hartzler, the race is over. If it's Eric Schmidt, the race is over. If it's Eric Greitens, it's a real race. How about that? Uh, boy, I, I need to get both of your takes on the three Republicans who voted for impeachment. As we discussed with Greg Drow, this is not looking good uh, for Peter Meyer in Michigan. By the way, remember, the, the, you heard Donald Trump. He couldn't believe that's how you pronounced his name. I don't know if you heard Greg mention, but that that is, if you're not from that part of the country, the Meyer Superstore chain is his family. Everyone knows how to pronounce that name, but I digress. Uh, you've got two others in Washington State here, as Greg wrote about Dan Newhouse, Jamie Herrera Butler. Uh, Jeannie, this is probably not going to be a, a clean sweep for Trump, but looks like he picks off another. He may pick off another. And I think what we're starting to see is that you can win even if you didn't support the big lie and didn't and, and voted to impeach or voted to impeach Trump. But you're probably going to have to do it the way we've seen, you know, the governor of Georgia do it, um, you know, which is that you've got to and, and the governor of Virginia, quite frankly, is that you've got to not take him on. You've got to sort of go around him, if you will. And some of these candidates have done that and some of them have not. And, you know, I think Peter Mayer is fascinating because there is an ad out in Michigan where he is saying that with the DCCC and, you know, pushing Gibbs, he is now mm-hmm. pushing that back on Nancy Pelosi. So while she's talking about <laughs> democracy in Taiwan, he is saying that this is, you know, the, uh, the height of sort of hypocrisy. And she's pushing this guy who believes in the big lie. So this has been a continuing sort of controversy, as, as we've talked about on the Democratic side. Should they be pushing these big lie candidates? Good thing. This isn't confusing uh, for anyone. We've seen a couple of, of different results here. At Doug, David Valadeo in California kept his job. Tom Rice in South Carolina, not so much. How, how does this uh, cut? Or, or, or are we just, you know, back to going district by district, different feelings about Trump and their own incumbent? Uh, yes, I mean, that's that's exactly where it stands. Now, part of this also is happening you know, in in the atmosphere of redistricting, where members are also running in slightly different districts than than they used to, which which presents its own challenge. We often see member versus member primaries, which has played itself out to where they're campaigning to be who can be the most Trump-like. And what we see is that, you know, Donald Trump is still the alpha dog of the party. It's a diminished alpha dog, though. He's a smaller alpha dog. His endorsement gets you 30% of the vote for sure. That's not what gets you the other third, unless voters feel that basically you're not representing them by opposing not all things Donald Trump, but one big thing Donald Trump. 
Well, we'll be talking a lot more about results, of course, at this time tomorrow. The other incumbent on incumbent is a Democratic race we're watching in Michigan. Andy Levin, Haley Stevens, who've both been on this program multiple times. One of them will not continue on uh, in the 11th Congressional District, newly redrawn. That's suburban Detroit. Uh, you might have uh, heard mention or seen the headline on the terminal that Nancy Pelosi tomorrow uh, is going to TSMC. The Washington Post says she will meet with the chair of Taiwan Semiconductor to talk about, you know, the CHIP Act, so $52 billion, take a little bit of credit for that. TSMC stands to benefit as they open a chip plant and expand potentially those plans uh, into Arizona, of course, voting on this primary day. Uh, Jeannie, is this getting to be a little bit too big of a visible trip here, or is this the type of uh, itinerary you were expecting? She's going to have a joint news conference with the president of Taiwan in the morning. I think it's very much in keeping with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you know, Doug described her as a street fighter. She certainly is. She was never going to go do this quietly. Um, you know, well, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's going to be a very, very sort of fraught 48, uh, you know, 96 hours as China has to respond to this. And we've seen some of that already. But the bolder she gets, the more bold potentially their response is, although I don't think they'll go over a line. Doug, we have less than a minute, but are you worried about her safety in departing? Do we have to worry about Chinese fighter jets fooling around or anything like that? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. They know that that would be the ultimate kind of escalation, which you know China doesn't want to do either. Um, mm -hmm. They want to see how much they can get away with. But you know, Jeannie talks about a line. This would be the biggest and brightest line that there could be. No interceptions. Doug, hi, it's great to have you. Jeannie Shanzano, our panel for today. They'll be back with us tomorrow here on The Fastest Hour in Politics. Where does it go? If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast. Bloomberg, sound on. We'll check traffic and markets, keep you fed straight through Daybreak Asia, and I'll meet you back here tomorrow with a lot more to talk about on Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.